0: We're live on, on Twitter.
1: And and we're live. It is Friday, April 9th, 5.01 p.m. Eastern time. And we're not allowed to have fun anymore. What we are allowed to win- watch Windsor Man have an endless number of rooms that he apparently is trying to get rate my room raider. Well, let's see the
2: whole room,
0: Kate
1: yeah i feel like this is absolutely phenomenal like you like la oh my god
0: it's the oh, same room is... though isn't it no that it's the, not the last
3: time you were yeah i, I think, think it is so. no the last time when i asked you no, a question i was upstairs in this tiny little tiny little office that's just but you purely but, for utility
0: but you have done in lieu of fun from from this in it little washington yes, type the first room. Time...
3: The first time was October first, and it was in this room. I remember it's October first because that was also the last time I got a haircut. So October first, <laughs> and um, so now I have this mullet going. Um, you do have a mullet this going. Beer, this is this is cleanly cleanly shaven by my standards, and um, uh, I have a mullet. And then I was on with Virginia Heffernan in, in December, I think.
1: Right, well, I was and that on was-
3: the sofa, right, that right there. And I was facing this one. Okay.
1: That, I mean, it's just an excellent. Someone just just
3: said uh, last time was from a walk-in closet. That's Dave said that, which is pretty accurate. Um, It was this (laughs) tiny room. um, It has just this tiny little desk.
0: So I assume you are in little Washington now, right? Yes, sir. So for those in the audience, including perhaps Kate, who do yeah. not know what, no little, what, this is. what little Washington <laughs> is? Um, can you explain it?
3: Um, I'm not sure I can, but um, uh, well, my mom lives here, so this is my mom's house. So I should make that clear. Like if we were, if I were doing this at my apartment in D.C., it would not be nice. Uh, so <laughs> um, this is, you know, all praise to my mom. Shout out to Ruthie. Um, and um, she lives here. She moved here in 2010, and uh, it's just this. It's about uh, it's 60 something miles from DC, but an hour and a half drive. And the inn is here. The uh, inn, a little Washington, it's like a Michelin star, right? You know, it's like just this unbelievable restaurant. And um, but it, does that explain like, it? <laughs> I mean, sort it's of. It's just this tiny like, little town. It's a tiny little town
0: in Rappahannock County, Virginia. That is, uh, basically, all the houses are. Uh, there's no new building. It's this town that was. Um, I, I mean, it's how many? It's it's only about fifty or sixty houses total, right? It's a tiny little. I don't know how many.
3: My mom is actually outside the town, so she's point eight miles from it. So she's kind of got a little bit of the like looking out, there's a barn over there and it's a lot of rural farmland and their horses and stuff across the street. So um it's pretty rural. Yeah. Um, that's a word I've actually been working on because I have a hard time saying rural. If you're from a rural part of the south, rural <laughs> is a very hard word. But uh, it's not, I
0: mean uh, the thing the thing about Little Washington is that it's like you do feel like you are driving into the early 19th century but for the car
1: yeah
0: and the inn
1: there has to be some serious historic preservation laws and zoning laws in well, place well say that way the, the very the,
3: strict zoning laws very strict the, zoning
0: and the inn has bought up a lot of the property in town in order to restore these uh, incredible old buildings, and then they do, you know, people come there uh, because it's far enough from Washington. If you go there for dinner, you tend to have to stay the night. Um, and so there's a kind of, uh, there are these gorgeous, gorgeous old houses that have been lovingly, lovingly redone. Um, and cool. it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing uh, little Little village. Um, have you have you eaten at the inn? I have once. And I think I couldn't really afford to do it a second time.
1: <laughs> yeah, <if> <laughs> Is it like really, really that expensive? Get...
3: Is it like per se?
0: It's it it's crazy I mean, expensive. But
3: it's like it's hundreds. It's yeah.
0: Yeah, it's many many if you hundreds. Live in the of county,
3: do- you get a discount. Sorry, I feel like I'm interrupting. No, um, no. If you live in the county, you have a, a discount uh, January, February, and March. So I've eaten there in those months, um, and it's awesome. It, but it, there's it, also it. another restaurant in Sperryville called Three Blacksmiths, which is also amazing. I'd I mean, highly recommend it. Rural
0: Virginia has an incredible collection of restaurants because there's also, if you go down in the in the Charlottesville area, the Barbersville uh, Vineyard which is this incredible, so Barbersville is is built around an octagonal house that Thomas Jefferson designed for the governor of Virginia, a guy named Barber, and um, Jefferson designed this beautiful octagonal stone house and it burned down in the 1850s, and so the ruin of this Jefferson-designed octagonal house is is on this property, and there's a, a just an incredible restaurant uh, there. Um, and I don't, you know, there's a bunch of these uh, places in in places that just it's not obvious to me how they have the economic uh, how, how they're generating the wealth to support these restaurants, frankly. Um, but it's it's an amazing group of restaurants, you know, in in if you drive around rural Virginia and you know where you're going.
1: So did I have uh, I And ever at talked Barbersville, to you? Go ahead. Go ahead, Windsor, I'm kill I'm kill I'm just like I think I'm on a slight lag and I think it's my fault because I think my internet's a little janky. I think I'm sorry. Too.
0: My internet <laughs> well, uh, is perfect. I- None of it's my fault.
3: <laughs> well, at, at barbersville they have a um first of all the um cab franc is fantastic that's my favorite one of theirs uh, also they have one called i think the octagon or something like that um and they serve at every uh uh party at the british embassy so that kind of connects to the news i've heard is that happened with someone in england but um yeah
1: so I don't think I've ever talked about this, but I come by my property interest in like my historic preservation interest kind of very honestly. When I grew up in a, what they call a cobblestone house, and I will see if I can share my screen really quickly and show a picture of it. I just dropped it in the chat. But my parents built from, or uh, bought from a historical society in out in state New York, what was called the cobblestone house and um it was this specific house has it its own wikipedia page that i had no idea of until i just googled it um wow. but this is yeah so that is the house there are lots of pictures of little kate um on that on that front stoop and i used to sit on that front stoop and suck on lemons and wait for my mom to get home from work <laughs> um, but uh but that's that my parents restored this house and i lived there until i was 3 or 4 um but it's a really it was um that's an awesome uh, house yeah, Isn't that kind of cool? Um, yeah, so my that was, yeah. um, yeah, and it's all built out of like river stones, like cobblestones, obviously. So it's called Cobblestone House, but who it was uh, a cool. who knew that where'd you was, say that is? That's an in, it's in a small town called Macedon, New York, which is in like very rural western New York outside of Rochester.
0: Yeah, I was not born in a house like that, I'm afraid. I was born in, in this house. Um uh hang on. Um uh yeah, this is the house I was born in. It was just a lot, sort of a log cabin. Um <laughs> but um but it was home and we loved it. Um and I I yeah. You may do. We made do. We, you know, we, we,
1: oh, come on that house. And, I, and there so are pictures
0: and there are pictures of me on the stoop of that house, um, uh, 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 eating cake um, uh, that was being <laughs> that served to me, served <laughs> to me by Marie Antoinette herself. But
1: that, no, but that little house had it, the walls are a foot and a half thick because they're um, the, all of the insulation is horsehair mixed with plaster. So like, it's literally, I mean, it is like, it's like a very old house and there's all kinds of kind of cool things about it like that. And it was, but because the walls are so thick, the house is like a shoebox. It's so tiny. And of course people were shorter then. And so like the door frames are really short. Right. And like, so, you know, and so all of those, t- I mean, it was like real things in colonial, like time we you go back and we li- go to these houses and, you know, uh, anyways, it was kind of a, just a cool story. I don't know. So win- Windsor,
0: I have a very serious question for you. Okay. Great. What are you doing it. now that the no, Trump I'm not, era I'm not answering that. is over?
3: It mean I'm not answering that.
0: How do you, how do no, you, you organize your mind? Just jokingly, I mean.
3: Well, I've compared like what do you think about my current state to? Well, I, I'm kind of I'm in, in I'm so burnt out on politics. Um, so, but I'm kind of like the United States after the Soviet Union collapsed, like relieved, but also exhausted and ambivalent and confused about my role in the world. I mean, the world, that's a bit grandiose. But yeah. I mean, that's the United States and, you know, 91, 92, 93, 94 was kind of didn't know what it was supposed to do in the world. And I'm kind of like, OK, I mean, it was such a cause defeating Trump for me that, uh, you know, I put so much passion into that. And uh, now I'm just kind of like, OK, I'm so happy he's gone. But it's kind of like, okay, now I'm going to, like, I, I have tried to be outraged about Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I, I am a bit, but they're just, they're small fish compared to Trump. And it's kind of like, I don't want to get into the funny outrage, too, the kind, you know, the kind that I hate when other people do it. So, you know, and I don't like the, you know... I don't like what the Republicans in Georgia are doing, but it's still—it's I can't summon the outrage that Trump just just made me feel automatically. Um, so I'm just kind of—I'm just kind of just trying to acknowledge that and just kind of accepting it. I, I sort of helped my um, friend Michaeline Black. He wrote a piece for Shouts and Murmurs at New Yorker, so I kind of helped him with that. So I kind of like the the humor writing now. That was so—that was fun for me doing that. Um, and uh, I mean, he got the byline, but um, he said the um, he said like you know um, the esteem is ours, but only he gets the credit or something like that. They don't but I do, but co- they don't do any co they
1: don't do any co bylines at the New Yorker ever. I didn't so. I, I
3: didn't do enough to even merit a, a co byline anyway. But uh, but that was fun, and but just kind of writing about politics, I just find it just kind of. I don't know, but I'm going to need to soon. I was thinking about writing a book about conservative victimhood. I wrote um, an op-ed about it um, two years ago that now seems, I'm not going to say prophetic because it was pretty obvious then too, but it seems just so much more pertinent now Um, with, I mean, with Josh Hawley claiming it was silenced. And then, I mean, it's, and then there are all kinds of people now, but that's really when I was like, okay, this could really be a book. And Charlie Sykes wrote a, a book about victimhood in '92, and he had a lot of good observations. It's been a while, for, it's
1: been a while yeah. since 1992. Like some things have happened to conservatives. Well, but, but also
3: Char-
0: <laughs> Charlie yeah I gra- I graduated 19-
3: from middle school. I mean, Charlie
0: in 1992, when he's writing "A Nation of Victims," is writing about liberal whiners primarily, and he's and he's yeah. um, and he has some uh warnings in there that conservatives shouldn't shouldn't jump on this train right he's got this loose idea that well you know what if what if we and he's speaking as a conservative he's a conservative radio talk show host then he's his understanding of it is this isn't a bandwagon that we would ever jump on uh and then of course he is shocked over the you know 20 years later to find that that is in fact a very comfortable place for conservatives um so here's my my question about this why does it happen is it because so one explanation of this is actually the left won; they won the whole vocabulary war and so if you want to have status in society you have to claim the status comes through victimization it's the opposite yeah. of nietzsche or maybe it is nietzsche right like it's it's the victory of of you know the meek the meek shall inherit the earth because they tie down the strong and they use it and and the the vocabulary for that is victim status and so conservatives accepting the left's vocabulary become conservative become victims in their own minds by way of establishing status um the second possibility is that um it's actually something completely different it's that they're morally persuaded by the left's argument that the you know they understand that that uh that the labor union the labor movement has the moral high ground they understand that uh, african americans have a moral high ground in talking about you know a certain set of issues right that and and that they because they feel that they speak for an authentic moral voice they have to be victims in order to in order to have the moral voice that they instinctively organize themselves around. And a third possibility is it's actually bullshit. And they (laughs) they, they (laughs) adopt it as a kind of pose. And so my question is, what what do you think is behind it?
3: I think it's the first possibility. That's my gut um, reaction. I mean, I I haven't started this book. I was just kind of thinking about it. Uh, but I think, have you read uh, Richard Hofstadter's essays on, um, well, uh, Daniel Bell came out with a book uh, called The New American Right, and I think it came out in early 60s, maybe 62. And uh, it, uh, Daniel Bell, who's a sociologist, and Seymour uh, Martin Lipset and Richard Hofstadter, who else was in that, um, they, they all had contributions to it. And they wrote about this new phenomenon called status politics. and. Um, it was against like, interest politics. So it was against like, you know, fighting for a higher wage and that sort of thing. And it was kind of these, it was what um, motivated the McCarthyites and um, that group. And they were, it was all status driven. And I think that's what's kind of driving, I could be totally wrong about this, by the way, but this is just my hunch. Um, and um, it was driving these people. And I, I think it's, I think they're sincere. I don't think they're, I mean, I have, I have conservative friends and they, bitch about this stuff all the time they feel like the uh, the officially recognized victims are victimizing them and they truly feel like you know uh white males are just are everyone's coming after them and and once also the the original victim groups which was you know uh, black americans and women and um uh i guess jews and uh i and I guess the disabled—they were actually kind of later, and so I, it kept on growing the, you know, officially recognized uh, victim groups. So eventually, there were enough of them, So it felt like they were—they outnumbered white males, I guess—and so they did kind of feel, kind of um, like their back was up against the wall, I guess. That's just my hunch. I, I didn't. I haven't started this book. I haven't even started reading it. What I don't you, know if I'm going to write it. But that was just that's just my hunch.
0: What do you think, Kate? Where what what do you think is the source of of cons- the conservative victimology complex?
1: I think that's a loss of power. I mean, I think it's legitimately like a white. Like I think that it's like I do. I buy into the argument that there is some aspect of which it's like. I don't I think white supremacy puts too much intentionality on it I think it's I think it's more unconscious than that but I think that they're that like I think the conservative communities and like people I think there is a sense of entitlement that uh conservatives that the people who tend to be demographically conservative tend to have a sense of entitlement to a certain way of life or a certain like to jobs, to other types of things. And I think that they feel like it's being stolen from them by people that are from like, and I think that, I also think that there is an element in which the internet and social media have allowed a lot, any type of like my, minority voice of conservatives, for example, or like people who feel like they're losing power or feel like they're victims of the left to find themselves and to amplify and to the outsized amplification um, given the actual size of the group, if that makes sense, of like their concerns. And so that's, you know, and to, and so that's kind of, that's kind of how I feel because demographically, um, Demographically, I don't think that much has changed in terms of where people live and like how exposed they are to people of different race or different like kind of political persuasions or anything else. What I think has happened is people's individual ability to find pockets of support in places online and to like to kind of solidify their victimhood and worldview. Um, does that make sense? You look like you're not buying.
3: Do you think it. this is? Do you think this has happened? Do you think this has happened? Uh, do you think this is widespread with conservatives, or do you think it's apolitical? Do you think this is not even a political thing? I mean, or like consciously political, or what do you?
1: What do you mean? Like do I think that sense? the? Um, well, do I think it's that? Do, do you, you think, I think it's every conservative feels this like, way? Um,
3: do you think that people who aren't even political feel this way? What do you?
1: Oh, I mean, I guess that the, the, uh, well, how are we defining conservative? I guess if we're defining it as a political group, that is like typically of, uh, of the Republican variety, then I guess it's like by definition, a political issue. But if we're kind of, do I think that there are people who, so yes, I guess I think it's a political issue. I think it's, I think that we're going to be defining this victimhood. You first have to define if it's conservative victimhood you first have to define how you're defining conservative and i think you can't define conservative without being political does that make sense like that's like it is yeah no i yeah i met people
3: who aren't even political um who aren't who don't who are like me these last few weeks who aren't who haven't been following the news closely and you know that um i, I feel like there's some of that they feel like victims who aren't even you know who don't watch Tucker Carlson like, and stuff. Oh, yeah. You
1: know. We're really sorry for you, Windsor. You're such a victim. Coming on a little fun to talk about the
3: news. I am. I am. So the more no, no, I think, the, I, the, I, the I more I listen to myself. you guys. I just mean people who aren't engaged.
0: The more I listen to you talk about this, the more I think, and I'm, I'm handicapped here by not having read the genealogy of morality in about 25 years. But the more I think this is a a picture perfect sort of Nietzschean story that conservatives watched for I don't know how many decades as liberals and particularly minority groups successfully Defined the conversation by the terms of victimhood. And and they finally, um, and for for many years, they responded to this by saying, well, that's just the way the world is, right? There are certain hierarchies in the world that um, we, i.e., the powerful, apropos of Kate's, you know, have certain privileges by dint of of the fact of who we are. And these claims started losing over and over and over again. And so what did they learn? They learned that the vocabulary that succeeds, the ones that cause other people to acknowledge obligation to you in our moral vocabulary is claiming discrimination and claiming victimhood never mind the fact that of course the claims have to have some legitimacy in order to have a re- like when tucker carlson claims that he's you know the victim of discrimination of some sort and that people as he did last night quite literally that you know that he's being replaced because the parents have adopted children that are that they love more than him, they're giving more goodies than they are him. That's a laughable claim, but that they've really recognized that the vocabulary of the recompense to the victim that the left has used, I don't know since when, it's the vocabulary of the left for a very long time, is actually the one that wins arguments, and I think there's a there's a well, weird homage to to the moral logic of the left in in these claims.
1: I will just say I completely agree with that, and I'll add on. So imagine, imagine going like, imagine if like, and I, and they did. Plantation owners claim to be victims of the north they claim to be victims of like and like and the southern slave owners claim to be victims of the north and of course we look back and we say what a joke they weren't victims they were victimizing all of these other people that were they were enslaving and everything else um and i think that there's a similar it's but you're right that there is a power in the rhetoric around victims because it it has i think that you're i loved the the meat Reference because I hadn't like pegged it to that then. But I think that that's exactly kind of the, the exact idea of where it comes from. But claiming victimhood is its own sense of empowerment. If you can get enough people together and then norms and values shift in your direction and the history shifts in your direction. What if you're you if you are norms there, people. I do, please, please drink. Um, so hold on. Toy Tanks doesn't want to come on, but I'm just going to share really quickly this great uh, this great poll that he that he just uh, that he just talked about, which was this New Economist poll that uh, says that how much discrimination do the following people face in America today? And this is among Trump voters: 15 percent Jewish, 11 percent Muslims, 10 percent Asians, 10 percent immigrants, 9 percent Black people, women, and 49 percent conservatives. So that is just kind of an incredible, incredible poll. And I completely
3: think that's that related truthful. to
1: a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, I'm gonna share uh, to be the, To be also clear. Right, Cause I haven't read it. Sure.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you. Okay. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Okay. I will also say that part of why I think this is because of how my conversations go with the Trump voters that I know and how they talk about things it they are talking about things as if things are being that the world is changing things are being taken away from them they are not empowered to stop it from happening and other people are doing this to them and so that's kind of um i think uh this is i think that this would be a great book this is a awesome idea Windsor. i
3: think the two of you should write it and let me put uh (laughs) i can use my byline (laughs) <laughs> in terms of thinking about this uh, I, I, mean, think also, I mean i was just thinking in terms of areas academia culturally also i think the right they've just they're losing so much culturally i mean this uh major league baseball stuff which i just i heard ron and mcdaniels that had some tweet like guess what i'm not doing today watching baseball i mean they feel like they're losing they feel like they're you know being excluded or whatever i mean so i mean i think that's you know that's where I, f- I feel like they're being sincere about it.
2: Yeah I, I, I mean, maybe, ironically maybe I
3: Daniel maybe she's 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 a cynic but maybe not her, but I bet there are a lot of people who did take that sincerely as as um, you know like they're they're being left out of you know, American culture or something.
0: I mean ironically, I think there's a lot of sincerity in it. I think people are gen- genuinely feel as though, Um, as though they are being victimized by lots of people's claims of victimization and that they sincerely feel that the need to honor other people's claims of systemic discrimination or individual discrimination or the Mm. claim that you can't uh, use certain words or or describe things in the way that feels natural and comfortable to you, is actually victimizing you in some way. And I think that, you know, and of course, look, I have my own agreements and disagreements with those substantive claims, but the, the notion that, that, that those claims themselves constitute a victimization is, it's kind of amazing the degree to which that has caught on.
1: Yeah, I was thinking. Well, the I, yeah, go ahead, Miss Windsor. Mm-mm.
3: No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm drinking water and beer. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, I'm double. Sir, do you guys? Do you remember the Duke? Um, the the Duke, false rape case, and do you remember the um Rolling Stone, false false rape yeah. case? Remember those two things I have like that. As yeah, a subscriber. So, yeah. <sighs> those to me, um, and this is not about race or conservative, but those in the traditional kind of victim of a crime, victim of things, and the role of gender there, and the role of kind of stereotypes of how we thought about things, and the way the fact pattern switched, flipped out, in and out of like kind of who was a victim and who wasn't, and we don't know until we have the entire, all of the facts marshalled, and the power of media or norms to Create victims or dismantle victims uh, was fascinating to me. So and and, and like and so I think of, I think about that a lot in like a meta sense as a person when I say like believe women. I know the sentiment that I mean when I say that, and I know I generally think I know the sentiment that other women say when they when they say that, or other people say when they say that. Um, but I do also realize, like, I think about those those stories. And I think that there are rare exceptions in the sexual assault cases for sure. But that, like, I, you know, um, it is, it's it just like the victimhood is such a completely fact, is so, like, a, such a full fact based thing. And it is also balanced with so much history. And so I think it's a very, there's a lot uh, to be, I mean, it just, I think it's a, it, I think it's a deeply, like, deeply, um, complicated word that gets thrown around a lot without much thought.
3: I mean, actually, Joseph Epstein wrote a, a great piece for the, um, New York Times Magazine in 1989 about victimology. And I, and of course he was saying, he was saying liberals or victims, you know, so he was doing that thing, but it was a kind of an interesting sociological thing, but it was the attractions of victimhood. And now if you read it now, it's like, oh, this is, this is conservatives. I mean, this is this is this explains why conservatives like it so much. And also, uh, I think um, Robert Nisbet, the sociologist, he wrote an essay about it too. Um, I think I have it here. I think it's up here somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, he wrote about it too. It's, yeah, it's called like victimology or something. Um, both of theirs were called that, I think. But, I yeah. mean, the the, thi- the thing about
0: victimology, though, is that it does not prepare you well to wield power. Um, Say more.
1: uh, What do you mean by
0: that? um, So wielding power is fundamentally an exercise in in deciding how goods and bads for that matter get distributed, right? And so if you decide That you are going to do X for X people, but not for not X people. And that may be a totally good decision. It may be a right decision, but it will leave have nots, which will characterize themselves as victims. Um, And the moment you decide um, to that the the only authenticity the only the only r- real source of moral decision making lies in victimhood which is what the conservative movement has decided yeah you make it very difficult for yourself to make hard decisions right so the conservative movement can tell you now that they're four Dr. Seuss. Right? But that is actually not a hard decision. It's really badly positioned to answer the question: how would you distribute COVID risk and 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 goods? Right? And so that, like, that's a really hard question for modern conservatives to answer because they who is morally entitled in their worldview to the the preference of society in in COVID that they deny is a serious problem, that they uh, insist is the right. So like once you get into this kind of warped reality in which you're accepting that the, the moral authority comes from victimization but you're completely inaccurately describing the world of, vi- of victimization. And by the way, you're, you're not answering basic questions like, oh, uh, uh, how do we decide, um, you know, should we should we aim to vaccinate large numbers of people? How quickly, how should we focus on vaccines or masks? Right, you're not asking the right questions but you're accepting the moral logic of victimization as the source of authority, it ties you in knots, right? So contrast that for a moment with the left, which has its own pathologies, of course, but which says, hey, there are certain historically discriminated against populations that we own owe a certain solicitude to as a result of this historical pattern. By the way, those groups of people are suffering unduly in the COVID pandemic, uh, particularly people of color um, and black and brown communities uh, have uh, disproportionate impacts. So we should, it it leads you to certain coherent answers to certain questions that are present now in the distribution and the exercise of power. Uh, What do you focus on? Well, you focus on the communities that are most at risk, right? What do you? But if you if you buy the bullshit of conservative victimization, where does it lead you in the exercise of power? And the answer is, so it why is you to, Well, <laughs> e- e- if you're serious about it, it leads you to very ugly places. But often where it leads you is to incoherent places and vengeance places, right? A focus on very unimportant questions like, you know, uh, major league baseball in Georgia, rather than voting rights and Georgia, right? It just leads you to focus on the wrong questions and and to to incoherent governance.
1: This is such a good point. I'm going to start bringing people in, well, but um, Windsor, go ahead.
3: This is also way too heavy for me because I haven't even thought about this stuff in like six months. So do you want to talk about your shoes? But I will. I I, want to talk. We can. I I have them here, but I do want to recommend I bought a Richard Hofstadter Library of America came out with the book of uh, collected writings of Richard Hofstadter. He was the historian at Columbia and um, it has anti intellectualism in America. And uh, the paranoid style, and it has some of his unpublished essays on Goldwater, and and the
2: and
0: so and, and the great uh, 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 history essay, the progress, uh, the great book, the Progressive Historians. I mean, he was. It doesn't he was have an, that. He was an incredible. No the Progressive Historians is a great book. He was a he was an amazing uh, amazing man, and of course, the father of Douglas Hofstetter. Uh, of the University of, I believe, Indiana, who uh, wrote goethe escher Bach and I Am a Strange Loop and a number of other um, wonderful mathematical, uh, 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 I don't know what to call them, Um, uh, uh, ruminations.
3: But read read his essays on pseudo-conservatives and you will, it, it just, it's, exactly like republicans now it is it is eerie they are so good and this is they're in uh his book the paranoid style and i think that's actually one of the weaker essays in the book the paranoid style it's still very good but the other essays are just can you drop a
1: link for that book in the chat just so we have people have it or that would be great i would also like that so that i can just like make sure i i didn't get the name it's you said leonard hofstetter Yep. Richard, Richard it's
3: the uh, Library of America.
1: I've never heard of that. I'm Googling. Okay. It. Um Tony Kava. Hello. Oh my gosh. You've got a Hi. you've got a dog shirt on. He it's is Momo space.
0: He is uh, it is a dog shirt kind of day. <laughs> May the eyes of <laughs> dog the dog
2: shirt fall upon you and bless you. <laughs> <laughs> yes these these eyes don't follow you across the screen right? you know See, they, these they eyes move
0: anyway. wherever you're looking they're tracking you.
2: yeah yeah they once those eyes have been seen they cannot be unseen as the thing so
0: as virginia <laughs> said they're nipply and weird <laughs>
1: <laughs> go ahead virginia Effernan said that
0: were, yes
1: Virginia Hayes spends dog shirts.
0: Yeah, she really has a
2: problem with dog shirts. The rest of us really do too, but no, that's okay. No, not really. Um, (laughs) Okay, uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, The conversation may have moved on since I posted posted the question, but you guys were talking about like
3: conservatives and uh, why they feel victimhood? And Kate made really great points
2: about uh, conservatives and uh, you know feeling put upon and white supremacy and stuff. But I'm just wondering: should we be calling the modern Republican party and the current their current voters conservatives any longer? Or does that word just grant them a level of seriousness and gravitas that they're really not due? Such a good Um, question.
3: To quote to to quote David Frum, conservatives are what conservatives do. So if the vast majority of conservatives are this way, then you kind of have to call them that. If 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 they didn't dominate the party, then maybe not. But I don't know what else you call them. I mean, you know, it just it ruins the word, but I mean, you know I completely disagree with that. Really? Wait. Yeah, yeah, I really. But what do, do you it. call them? So, and and but you have to you have to come upon some kind of agreed upon term, right? So people well, call I don't, them one thing. I and don't then else calls them something.
0: I don't think we have a nomenclature, a good nomenclature, or an agreed upon nomenclature. But I think conservatism, in the sense that we u- traditionally use the word, is a combination of, uh, libert- libertarian leaning economics, a sort of Burkean temperament and a tendency to go slow on radical social change. Um, And And, and who does that describe now? And it describes, you know, virtually nobody now, uh, particularly the Burkean temperament part. And, 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 so the right way to think about it is that the American right has abandoned conservatism and now reflects something else, right? And what you want to characterize the American right as having abandoned in fa- conservatism in favor of, uh, I think there's a good, you know, I, I, whether you call it authoritarian populism or... If, you know, sort of light fascism, or like, I I don't know what the right word for that is. But it seems to me objectively not conservatism as we've traditionally understood it. And rather than ruining the word and the set of ideas that that word encapsulates, some of which are honorable and some of which are less so, why don't we just say what the whatever the American right is it has very little to do with with conservatism.
3: See my feeling is that conservatism died I, I don't know exactly when but kind of shortly after the Soviet Union collapsed because the Buckleyite conservatism was it was fusionism so it was the kind of social conservatism the libertarian-ish um, you know on economics and um and anti-communism and once anti- anti-communism, that, once that pillar was taken away, you just had, you know, the libertarianism and the social conservatism. And also, by the way, by the time the Soviet Union collapsed, liber- the libertarian streak was pretty much gone, too, because, uh, because George H.W. Uh, Bush, that wasn't libertarian and he wasn't unpopular because he wasn't libertarian enough. He, he was fine and in, in terms of the majority of people. It was only a hardcore of conservatives who were pissed off about um, the growth in government and stuff. And he had what he, he had the Americans with Disabilities Act and some other like quote big government um, programs. But so the libertarian-ish, I think that was actually kind of gone in the in Reagan's early part of his second term. Uh, so you really just had the kind of cultural issues left at that point, and um, and that's I think that's all you had left after uh, the Soviet Union collapse. So I, I don't know. Do you? I mean, even though there are still interesting arguments on the right about foreign policy about Kosovo, I mean there are some interesting arguments with. John Bolton and Charles Krauthammer then, but of course, um, but of course those that, are not different actually from the arguments in the center and
0: right. That those are questions of how muscular our American foreign th- those policy th- should. Th- those are
3: more th- those are more tactical. Those are more tactical questions, I guess. Um, they weren't philosophical,
0: right? I guess. So yeah. I I guess I I would like to preserve the word conservatism to describe the intellectual movements that you're describing as having been abandoned in that period of time. And I don't know, like I would call what Trump was, was Trumpist, you know? There was just nothing conservative about it. And so why, like just in the interests of having words that mean something, um, I, I kind of prefer to use the word conservative for people who were actually intellectually trying to
3: conserve something.
1: Yeah, that's a really, I, I think like that I'm very embarrassed okay, now but that the, I didn't know Richard The, the, the masses
3: are going to, are going to win them, sorry. The masses are going to win when it comes to, uh, language. The more people who use a word a certain way, they're going to. Beach, even if they're using it incorrectly, they're gonna win. So I'm just trying to Well that's to what happened with liberal.
1: Right. Yeah. Why shouldn't it happen with I can't, conservative? I can't define
3: liberal, it, I can't define conservative.
1: This is one of the reasons that Sorry. I hate the terms neoliberal and liberal and lib- like I don't know. I think it's all in libertarianism. Like it's all just like the same root word in completely different intonations to whatever it is that people are trying to say. Uh, Frank, so nice to see you. The floor is yours. Thank you. uh, thanks for uh,
4: for bringing me in. And actually, I I, I just want to say that last bit of conversation. I, I I think I agree with Ben that it'd be great if uh, you know the word conservative continued to have some sort of coherent ideological component to it, and that you know Trumpist as an alternative for certain kinds of things um, makes sense. Um, but it's a but it's a really you know fuzzy line. And um, as Woodsor points out, you know what people call things is what they're going to be called. Um, the question that I that I put in the in the in the um, in the ask a question box was: To what extent is conservative victimhood the tip of the identity politics iceberg for mostly white Americans? And I think it if if feels like doing a Venmo diagram. You know, the other parts that are in there would be like Christianity. Masculinity, different kinds of things that kind of overlap with we'll call it conservative, for the sake of discussion right now, uh, approaches to life. I, I, one, like I have an, an aunt who was, you know, agitated that she just can't say Merry Christmas to whoever she wants. And her question to me was, why do I have to change? I'm like, well, you know, you're not recognizing that there were these other people around all along. and And now we finally are. And, and I guess, and I would agree with what was being said earlier, that this is just deeply felt uh, a, among a, a large number of people as grievance. And because it, it, it really is about their identity as um, as Americans and what it means to be American and on that very basic uh, level. So I'm uh, sorry, that's a little bit of my explication of how I understand the question, but I'm really interested in what you have to say.
3: Windsor, go ahead. No, you're the guest. The question's for you. No, you're... you're, you're. (laughs) you're, I mean, look... I I said before the show I was going to talk less.
0: I mean, I I think that that is right. A huge amount of it is encapsulated in Frank's uh, uh, account of why do I have to change? And people who are comfortable and who believe the world is basically just, um, when asked from from the point of view of others to give up privilege, to use our current uh, vocabulary for such things, or when asked to uh, adapt to the comfort level of others, it can be uncomfortable and that can give rise to resentment. And I think that resentment can give rise to identity politics. And that is, um, I I don't think that's avoidable. Um, I think we tend to create identities around many things and resentments are one of them. but it look, it also used to be the case that most white people did not identify as white people. Most white people identified as members of constituent groups. Um, Italian-Americans did not think of themselves as white people. They thought of themselves as Italians. Jews really didn't think of themselves as white people most of them having fled, being murdered by other white people. Um, They thought of themselves as Jews and actually a lot of them still do. And, you know, it is only the last 50 years where very large numbers of what, from a minority point of view in the United States, consider white people start to think of themselves that way Outside of, you know, certain areas where the white community is very sort of Scotch Irish and um, and you know Scottish and English um, of uh, by extraction, um, particularly in the South, and you know the more you the more that happens, the more you start to get white identity politics that is not just that sort of traditional Ku Klux Klan and remember the you know the old the old Klan and the the new Klan too to a large degree is against blacks, Jews, and Catholics, right? The um and there's a lot of white people who are excluded mm. by that formulation. Um uh the the you know the a consolidation of a white more white identity as such is a relatively recent thing.
3: I, I kind of think of I, I, pardon me in advance if I don't make sense because I haven't really fleshed this out, but. Um, Jonah Goldberg, he wrote a book, uh, The Tyran of Cliches, where he kind of accused liberals of not owning up to their liberalism. They weren't like not admitting their ideological biases and stuff. And I kind of thought of that as kind of like white people. They don't identify as liberals as such. Some do, but most of them, they're just like, I'm liberal. It's normal and stuff. And I kind of think of that as like white people. Like, I don't think of myself as, hey, I'm white. You know, I just, just, yeah, I'm white. But it's not like something I really think about much. So I. I think that is, a, in terms of a lot of conservative grievances about liberal bias and that sort of stuff, I think it may be kind of like that with white. Does that make sense at all? Uh, it, that analogy just kind of popped in my head.
1: Yeah, but the, I mean, I think that the, the counter to that, that, the, that people of color and other people would say are men, like you probably don't think, I don't know, well, you probably do think of yourself as a man, so it's not like the exact same thing. But my general idea is that if you are in the position where everyone around you, that like, when you are in the majority or something, you are very, you, like, I don't know if you've ever gone, you know, I would, I would challenge you to say that you felt like you weren't aware that you were white if you went to a place that was majority black, for example. Like, I think you would then suddenly become very aware of, like, of your, but but there's a
0: flip side of this, which is if you go to a place where the salient Uh, ethnic religious tensions are not between white people and non-white people. Uh, Your sense of whiteness evaporates completely. So we have a flare up of sectarian tensions in Northern Ireland right now. Um, And these are along super traditional Catholic Protestant lines. Um, And, you know, they get as... Bloody as anything, as hierarchical as anything, and Ireland's about as white as it gets, you know. Mm. Um, and so, the the yeah. point is, it, it requires so, uh, an environment where where white people put aside a huge amount of traditional things that cause them to have violent, you know, religious wars. Uh, uh, serfdom, you know, all the things that have caused white people to oppress one another, and that doesn't really start happening in the United... I mean, it ha- starts happening very early, but, you know, you have in the 1830s, in, you have efforts to ban beer all over the place because Germans drink it, right? And those are white people uh, that are considered, and we
1: hate those people. Beer is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't no, the way people. In, I, I, I'm anti-German now. That wasn't the way people you know That
0: wasn't the way uh, Protestants in Ohio felt about it. For I mean, a long I'm pro-German, right? I guess. And I'm
4: and it German,
0: wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the way people felt about Italian Americans and Irish Americans, and certainly not Jews. Um, and so it's it's a it's a very strange environment that we have in the United States where. We kind of put aside centuries and centuries of hating each other and identified skin color as the the relevant factor.
1: Yeah. Uh, David Boss. I see you have, I see you have. Okay. So, Ben, this is the video that I took of the turkey mating dance.
2: Oh, over here.
1: That's
0: tomorrow's beast of the day.
1: And then what is, is this your beast of the day today, Ben?
0: Uh, the, the, uh, the red bird of paradise uh, from oh Indonesia gosh, was, was a few Ooh. days ago and it is not a plant. It's not a flower. It's an actual bird. Cool.
3: Ben, David, I wanted you to tweet nice to my you. mom's eagle that she took.
0: I didn't see it. Can you DM it to me?
3: I, I, DM'd, I I'll DM it to you. Okay. Sorry. Okay.
2: David. Um, good afternoon. This is really interesting discussion about uh, privilege and and etc. I, I so I thought about my question and, and so I'll reframe it. So today uh, we observe the passing of both Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, and DMX. Um, and to me, it's a it's a it's a bit of a story of contrast. In particular, when we think about uh, the right. And their current uh, love and fetishization of the monarchy from the UK, which seems somewhat uh, contrary to uh, the forming <laughs> of the United States and independence and this sort of thing, but is such never a never <laughs> such a contrast. Um, I, it, it strikes me as interesting, and in, you know what? What does that contrast say about? um oh somebody wants to say hi kate uh what does that say very good uh about us as a as a culture and society
1: great question i love i love the highlighting of that because it's something that drives me absolutely batshit i do not understand the fetishism by any americans of the english monarchy given the especially not ones who claim to be um Patriots and, and like in the we're like no 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 this entire thing we crushed it so that we could become America <laughs> and like that it's just a very but I, I I really I'm interested in what Windsor thinks about this too.
3: Why? Because you you want me to talk smack about my cousins now? Is that it? Oh okay. yeah.
1: <laughs> Wait, are you related to the Royals? Oh, did you grow up in that house no. and Ben grew uh, up in the other Windsor, house? He's a
3: Windsor man.
1: <laughs> Oh, you! Oh, he's a Windsor. Oh, wait, really? Yeah,
3: well, Windsor's my mom's maiden name, and um, and she always said they stole our name because they were Germans and they changed their name in the World War I. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know about know the history, history at yeah. all okay. because I'm not related to them. Yeah, um, but um, I don't get it. I'm I I tab. I put this in my notes to uh, think about like a couple weeks ago when um there's at one point they were the conservatives were. Hating on Meghan Markle and, and praising Putin at once, and I just thought that was really weird. All, and hating on Biden, so they were kind of they were uh, loving the English monarchy, loving the you know dictatorship in Russia, and hating their own government. I thought that was weird. And also, I read a book. I mean, a book, uh, an article for USA Today a couple of years ago, just trashing, not trash, and that's that's overstated, but criticizing the the English monarchy, and I had some uh conservative friends just hating on me they were like viscerally pissed off and i thought that was weird because it's this tabloid trash kind of stuff now i mean even if you like the institution you can criticize individuals in it right i mean or even the institution is kind of silly now i mean it's it's really just purely for tourism it doesn't serve any kind of interesting political function, or, or I mean, any like useful political function. I, I don't think Though they're like Peter Hitchens would say, yes, it absolutely does. Uh, the presidency here kind of serves something similar to that in terms of you want to have something that everyone just kind of worships. And um, I don't know, but uh, I, I find it silly. I'm, I'm kind of like Chris Hitchens. I'm kind of a Republican. I think it's time to I mean, it's not my country, but I, I think it's just so antiquated. Um, I can't. You can't come up with a logical, rational reason for having it other than tourism. But I, yes. I, I do find the question very interesting, though. Um, why Why do conservatives fetishize the English monarchy, and uh, other than just being obsessed with tradition? But if it were, if the English monarchy, if, if they were black, would they? Would they still? Would they apparently
1: still?
0: Apparently not. It? We I don't learned think from
3: so. Meghan Markle.
1: Yeah, Apparently um, not. Apparently, yeah. very specifically not. I mean. Not. Uh, I mean uh, <laughs>
0: So um exactly. We should go to Genevieve and then wrap because it's 6:02. Yeah.
1: Genevieve,
0: Genevieve has turned into a black rectangle. Now she- oh no, she's
1: here. Hi. Hi, 3 Can more I- weeks Genevieve. I know. And then you're-, oh, you're almost there. Oh, thank God. Um <laughs> Okay, so
0: I'll
3: try to be quick, but I'm kind of circling back to the conversation before about victimhood and um this Question isn't meant to coddle or bifurcate that because I agreed with a lot of what was said. But do you think that there needs to be a greater acknowledgement of the country's wealth disparity and the economic hardships that are being experienced by Americans in certain economic classes? Because a lot of the times the pushback you get is, well, there's so many when you discuss it with people who are pro Trump, well, I haven't benefited, I don't see this, and it's not my experience. Kind of ties both together. But
4: thanks, everybody.
3: Windsor? well there's so many many rich Trumpists. there's so many rich trumpists. i don't know i mean
1: well this is the thing about trump that never makes sense to me
3: yeah i i I just don't think it's economic Uh, though i mean in terms of generally should there be more uh emphasis on this uh sure i guess i'm not against it but i'm not against it i I mean I'm, i'm against it if it's just in terms of who's a bit bigger victim look at this group they have less money therefore they're entitled to this and you're not or something then i'm against that if it's just for kind of just you know one, what's the term like one upmanship or something if it's just for that uh i'm against it but i feel like that's a lot of it too i feel like uh the Trumpists use used the economic stuff so cynically um i don't know but I do think there are real economic issues, though. I mean, I, I do think I, I, this was something like in my libertarian phase, I would have just like laughed, rolled my eyes at this. But I do think inequality is a serious issue. I don't have, I don't have a solution at all. But isn't isn't the relevant like? It seems to me the Trumpist
0: right is all about cultural grievance. There are many, many components of cultural grievance, economics gives rise to some of them. Race gives rise to some of them. Decline of, you know, sort of prestige and status of certain socioeconomic groups contributes to some of them. But the idea that what fundamentally drives Trumpism is a, a set of economic views strikes me as indefensible. Um, and I can't, like, I can't yeah. see that as even a plausible hypothesis.
3: And well, I mean, if that were the case, wouldn't a lot of black Americans be pro Trump? Like wouldn't more than 10%, whatever it is, I don't even know, but it's something like that. Look, wouldn't, neither,
0: you know, neither a, a coalition is held together by economic interests. The democratic yeah. coalition yeah. is a coalition of minority groups of various sorts and highly educated socioeconomically advantaged people uh, in in urban and suburban areas there is no common economic interest between those groups of people there's common moral interests there's common common ideological interests but there's no common and similarly the Republican coalition is a coalition of working class white people and rich
3: business elites what's the common economic interest and, 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 and mostly working class white males too um, yeah and it's the it, women are rural it's i
0: i think it's it's a it's a very it's a very hard argument to um to seems to me to defend that they're that what holds the parties together is is some shared class interests the way we understand it in a Marxian class sense, Marxist yes. framework class sense.
1: Yes, but I think that to Genevieve's point, why why do you have it, it I think that part of the 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 thing that she's getting at is the idea that there's people that were out of work or displaced from work that are working class and very poor whites that have clung to the trump idea and i agree with ben that it's out of an actual actual cultural like um thing even though they say that it's for for economic reasons because there is no logical connection between the way that trump like Trump's life, or his entire, like how he gathered his wealth, or how his wealth is passed on, that should resonate with working class individuals. Except, and I will make this one exception: except that every working class individual in America might think and hope that one day they could become Donald Trump, and that by supporting a person like Donald Trump, they can become kind of that type. That that type of that type of wealth will someday maybe. Like accrue to them or their children. No, but that that's
0: but that's about political messaging that is effective to various communities. Uh, it's not yeah. about the class interests, in fact, of those communities. Um,
1: no. Yes, of course. It's just a construction.
0: We should rap, Windsor man, you're a great American. It's great to see your face and Thank your you. mullet and the beard. That looks great. You like it? The scruffy foreground with the 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 perfectly polished background. It's wonderful. Um, yep. Give our best to your mom. Um, we will be back tomorrow. To It'll be just us.
1: Oh yeah, it's right? Saturday. Saturday yeah, we're going to plan nice. the show
0: and then Kate's going to bring a mystery guest on Sunday. Um
1: Wait, it's your mystery guest.
0: No, I brought Olivia Troy last weekend. Oh, it's wow. your mystery guest.
1: How um, is it possible that this happens every week? Completely genu- like I'm like every week I'm like <laughs> I just completely lose track of, track of yeah, that. Yeah, so
0: it's going to it is Kate's going to bring a mystery guest on Sunday and we're going to plan the show tomorrow. Uh and all of that is going to start 22 hours and 51 minutes from now.
1: And until then, we can all agree that we really like beer. Oh, we're not allowed to have fun anymore. But until then we can agree that we all really like beer. Right? Ben. Yeah, the, okay. Germans, yeah. the Germans the Germans
0: w- w- it was right of the Ohio Germans to fight off the anti-beer laws and uh it is a good thing that we we that we collectively defeated that round of nativism.